to be able to present right here in our worship because I want to talk this morning about worship. Uh, I have this fear, and uh, perhaps like Xavier's talk on Wednesday, this is a fear that just applies to me, but I think it's broader than that. I have this fear that we spend a lot of time worrying about uh, what we're supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be thinking, you know, correct theology, correct, uh, correct you know, actions before God, which are very important. Those are ways that we react to God. But I think that we don't spend enough time considering the God that we, uh, that we love, the God that we serve. And it would be kind of like if a husband spent a lot of time reading on how to be the best husband in the world and, you know, doing the dishes and making dinner and, you know, bringing home the money, but he never spent time really appreciating his wife. And so this morning, uh, as uh, this parallel to the song that Stephen just led us in, I want us to take time to behold our God. And to do that, I would like to take perhaps a little bit of an unorthodox uh, method. I'm going to be reading scripture for probably like 90% of our discussion this morning. But don't worry, uh, it's going to be up on the board. Uh, So I want us to just take some time this morning to reflect on the God that we are worshiping. Because worship is a response to the revelation that God has given us. A response in song, in prayer, in life lived, in devotion to him. But it is a response to God's revelation. And so we need to take time to reflect on this God that we love so much. And so this morning I have assembled some passages that I hope will help us to reflect on how awesome this God is that we serve. And so the first thing that I... I want us to understand about our God is that our God is fearful and awesome. And we'll read a few passages here, which again, I'll put on the board, uh, that are going to reflect the power of our creator God, the king of all the earth. So let's begin with Isaiah 45. God says, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hand that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts. I've stirred him up in righteousness. I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free. Not for price a reward, says the Lord of hosts. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Isaiah 40, he says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, says the cities of Judah. Behold your God. 
Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flocks like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the paths of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, who makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Already this morning, we've sung two songs based on Isaiah 40. Job 26, Sheol is naked before God. Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void, hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds. The cloud is not split open under him. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierces the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power who can understand. This last verse right here, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. How small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power who can understand. This is amazing. This God that we serve is fearful and awesome. And we have seen from these texts that we've read, and there are many, many others. The power of God who stretched out the heavens, who made the earth, who formed everything. And this is just a small whisper of the full power of this God that we serve. He is fearful and awesome. And before him, even the hills and the mountains quake. We see in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, O O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. 
The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Nahum chapter 1, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on its adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are dust at his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. That we see our God is great and powerful. He created everything in this whole world and that our God is fearful and awesome and that before him hills and mountains and everything that is created quakes and melts because our God is awesome. And as we approach him, we need to recognize what an honor it is to be able to come before him and also what a fearful thing it is to become into the presence of God. In Exodus 19, we see where uh, God is on Sinai. And it says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourselves warned them saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. The author of Hebrews parallels this and he says, man, you thought that was scary. Wait till you see the New Testament. He says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sounds of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous 
made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 10, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We see that God is terrifying. He is awesome. He is worthy of immense reverence and fear and awe and glory because he is powerful and he is holy and he is dangerous. And so as we approach God, we must recognize that our God, who we have the the amazing opportunity to worship, is fearful and awesome. I'll conclude this first point with one more passage, Job chapter 9. Job answered and said, truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out, marvelous things beyond number. God will not turn back his anger beneath him, bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. We recognize as we come to worship God that he is fearful and awesome and deserving of immense worship and praise, but also deep reverence. But this is not the only picture painted of God. This is not the only self-revelation that we get about God we see also that God is abounding in steadfast love. Here we see pictures of God pictured as a father. In Hosea 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. Isaiah 43, but now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for your peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. 
I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, I gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by, not, called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That we serve a God who is abounding in steadfast love. He is a father figure. He loves his people. He takes amazing care of them. And yet, as Jacob taught this morning, it is not just Jacob, his chosen people, but all people and all creation that looks to God as sustainer and life giver. Isaiah 41 says, When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Psalm 145 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of all those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We serve a God who is caretaker for all of creation, a God who helps those who are poor and who are thirsty, who all creation looks to him as the giver of life. This is the God that we serve. And nowhere is it clearer to see God's steadfast love than in the acts that he performed in the sacred history of his people, Israel. We read in Exodus 15, the song of the sea. This is uh, when Moses and the people have just crossed over the Red Sea. But Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill in them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them up. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you, whom you redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. 
The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. To your people, O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great works, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who, who's, who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great light, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong arm, a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowly estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gave food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. When we look back at the things that God has done for his people, whether it is bringing them through the Red Sea or defeating their enemies ahead of them or sending the hornet ahead to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan, we see that God keeps his promises. He keeps his faithful covenant to his people that this is the kind of God we see and that all through his, the sacred history of God's people, that is what we see. Uh, we get more examples of this. In Exodus 34, God tells his people, he reveals to himself, uh, Moses asks for God's name. And this is the closest I think we get to a, a proper name for God besides, of course, Yahweh, which is uh, a name that God reveals himself as. But in Exodus 34, the Lord descended in cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. That when God reveals himself, he reveals himself as a God of steadfast love. And we see that in First Chronicles. He says, David says, uh, yes, remember his covenant forever. 
the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That what we see is a God who keeps covenant faithfulness to his people through all these circumstances and through the wilderness and through everything, God is a God of faithfulness. And what we'll see in these next two passages is that God is even faithful to his people when his people are not. That Israel was terrible on so many occasions and yet God was still faithful to his end of the covenant. In Deuteronomy 32, it says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in the desert land, and in the, hollow, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on high place of the land. And he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd, milk from the flock with fat lambs, rams of Bashan, and goats with their very finest of wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed, demon, they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Similarly, in Nehemiah 9, you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them uh, commanded commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and their fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them, even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet 
did not swell. That we serve a God of a, who's abounding in steadfast love, covenant faithfulness, even when his people were not faithful to him, God was still faithful to his promise and he gave them a way to come back from their unfaithfulness, to, to come back into community with him. In Leviticus 26, we're told if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me so that I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. Second Chronicles 7, God says, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This kind of thing prompts uh, Micah to say in kind of uh, uh, a different version of the Song of the Sea, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Finally, we get Jonah, a man who messed up severely, and yet he prayed to God in his distress and God rescued him. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, and at the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayers came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That we serve a God who is abounding in steadfast love, who made a way for his people, though they be rebellious, to come back to him. And God finished this task by sending himself, his own son, into the earth to die for our sins. This is what it says in Philippians 2. That Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being, uh, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians tells us Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things are held together. 
He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That we serve a God who is abounding in steadfast love, a God who gave his only son, uh, his only son who also was God in the, f- the first thing, in the fullness of God. He's the creator as well. That this Jesus came to earth to die so that we could have life because God is abounding in steadfast love. And so as we bring this to a conclusion, I've got one final passage and a few closing remarks. The final uh, self-revelation of God in the whole Bible, Revelation 22, we're told, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let all who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so as we conclude this morning, we realize that our God is worthy of worship, that he is fearful and awesome and deserving of full reverence. He is holy. He is powerful. The, the, we know just a whisper of the thunder of his ways, that our God is amazing and powerful and scary, but also our God is tender and kind and full of loving kindness and faithfulness. And as we approach uh, the rest of this worship hour to sing songs to God, to pray to him. Let us uh, worship from a heart that has recognized the power and the glory and the, the wonderful love of God. And as we take the Lord's Supper, let us remember that. As we go out and we live our lives, let us remember that so that our whole life is a response to this revelation of God, that our God is worthy of worship. And if you're out here in the audience and you don't know this God, we would love to help you in any way. We would love to baptize you, to talk with you more about his amazing plan of salvation. But for the vast majority of you, the application is this. Our God is worthy of worship. And I hope that in the next 30 minutes, in the next uh, you know, week and year, that we will remember this and remember to look to the revelation of God, to find the grounds for, for glorifying and worshiping him in everything that we do. If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.